You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to 840. Good to see you all. How many of you feel like life is just a raving war? Uh, you know why? Because it's a raving war. Like life is, is war. Living a life for Christ is, is war. In fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the more resistance you'll see. The more resistance you'll feel, you'll experience. The more that you advance the, the kingdom of God, the more shots that you'll take from the enemy. I've said this every week, and I just I want to say it again. You'll probably hear it again next Sunday. If you think all you see is all that there is, and the passage we're going to look at today is probably going to, be, going to be very confusing to you. But if you think there's more happening than just what your physical eye can see, then I think the passage today will be helpful to you. It'll be, it'll be clarifying for you. If you think all there is is just what you can see, then you're going to lose a lot of battles. In fact, I would go ahead and guess you are losing a lot of battles. But if you believe that there is more than what your physical eye can see, you'll be equipped to win more battles, spiritual battles, even, even this week. And in other words, it's, it's not just us and God. There's a third variable we have to consider and we have to even factor in to the Christian life. That there is a very real and very personal enemy whose purpose is to defeat us, whose purpose is to destroy us, so says Jesus. And if you overlook or neglect or disbelieve in the existence of a very real battle that's happening in this room right now, if you disbelieve a very real battle that's happening over your heart and over your mind right now, then let me just lovingly, graciously say to you, you will constantly live in defeat. If you ignore and neglect an invisible battle, this constantly being waged over your heart, even right now, over your heart and your mind. With your copy of God's word, let's go to the passage that we've been in. It's Ephesians chapter six. Maybe you have a marker there, a ribbon there already. It's already pulled up on your smartphone, Ephesians chapter six. And let's kind of go back a little bit, get a good running start to our new passage that we're gonna be in today, or the new verses in this passage we'll be in today. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Ephesians, the New Testament, 10 books into the New Testament, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, just as the Spirit of the Lord would speak to the church at Highland today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul is wrapping up this letter, but more than just wrapping up the letter, the reason he uses the word finally is, is the same thought of, and ultimately, like above everything else I've just said, finally, please understand this, finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. I know I've said this a few times, maybe it's a good thing to repeat. The prepositions there, the two prepositions there are unbelievably important. Being strong in the Lord. Being strong in the strength of his might. In other words, Jesus is gonna need to give us the strength to win because our strength just won't do it. Please understand this. You can't serve Jesus for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. 
You can't love your spouse for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. You can't raise your children without Jesus' strength. <laughs> and we'll pray a lot for that brother over there. You can't be faithful to a church without Jesus' strength. You can't be a faithful Christian leader or businesswoman or, or manager or servant without Jesus' strength. It, it, it's a war fought by, don't miss this, verse 10, it's a war fought by the strength of his might. Let's move on, Ephesians 6, 11. So put on the whole armor of God that ye may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Go back and look at verse 11 and verse 13, there's a, a similar statement there. In fact, I think you see it underlined on the screen. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Jump down to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You, you, you see the, the, the two phrases that are repeated there, the whole armor of of God, And I think it's very important to realize this morning, perhaps you already do, that we need to put on God's armor for the war. It's not our attempts of putting on armor. It does not say put on your armor. It says put on the whole armor of God. And again, not just a portion, even of his armor, but verse 11 and verse 13 says the whole armor. It's God's armor that he has, that he's given all of it to us, the whole of it, and we are going to to need it. So note takers, here's the first thing you can write down. You will need the whole armor of God for two things. One, to stand against an evil enemy. Verse 11 tells us that. But you'll also need the whole armor of God to withstand the evil times. Verse 13 tells us that. So again, I, I, I think all these years, I'm learning things all the time. I've always have thought, John, you've got to put on your armor. You've got to wear your armor today. And that's not what scripture says. I need to put on God's armor. God, I need your armor for, for my life. You will need the whole armor that belongs to God, the whole armor of God that comes from God to stand against an evil enemy, a very real, very personal enemy, but also to withstand the evil times. Now, I probably don't have to plead with you this morning for you to believe that we live in evil times. We, we know that. No further dialogue needed. See, all of you thought you were coming to church today. You aren't. You're coming to war. That's why it's hard to get here on Sundays. Have you noticed that? That a lot of you, even this morning, you wrestled even getting out of bed. Some of you, I mean, you're, you're going back and forth. Do I, do I want to go today? There's so many more things I could do today. I'm so tired. Have you noticed that our kids behave the worst on Sunday mornings getting ready for church? And the grumpiest you are toward your spouse all week long is Sunday mornings. And, and that roommate that sometimes gets on your nerve is on all of your nerves on Sunday morning. I mean, you're not just coming to church. You're, you're coming to war. You're coming, you're coming to battle. And it's why you get here and you're like, I can't find a parking place. I just need to go home. I, I go to the coffee station. There's no coffee left. Or worse than that, it's cold. Like, this, this is the worst Sunday ever. It's a battle. 
Sundays are our are, are battle, and we, if we're going to realize that we're going to war, and, and we are, we need to know our enemy. We need to know our king in whose strength we fight. And we're going to need to know our, our weapons that we have at our disposal. We saw this last week. If you're fighting a spiritual battle, and Christian, you are, you cannot fight a spiritual battle with, with, spirit, with physical weapons. You have to have spiritual weapons. So let's go to the next portion to see what our weapons are, these these weapons of God. Let's see what constitutes the whole armor of God. Let's pick it up here in verse, verse 14 of chapter six. Stand, therefore, a, an operative word in this passage, to stand, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he says, firstly, in verse 14, the belt of truth. Uh, I'm sorry, let me go and read all the passages first, 14 through, through 17. So stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, let's look at these six pieces of God's armor. First of all, we see the belt of truth. He says that firstly in, in verse 14, the belt of truth. This combats or pushes back against the lies that the, that the enemy has for us. Um, let me just ask you a question. Are there lies in our world today? Are, are, are there lies in our, in our culture today? Have you run across a few lies these past few weeks in our culture? Uh, have you run across a few lies in our most recent political cycles. I mean, it's just, there, there's lies all the time. In fact, in John 8, Jesus says that Satan is the father of all what? Of all lies. So lying is his native language. It's all he's ever done. All he knows to do is, is to lie. By the way, little side note, that means when you and I lie, we're actually following the enemy's plan. When you and I lie, we're doing something demonic. And a lie is when we don't tell the truth, or probably for more of us in this room, it's like we tell part of the truth, but not the whole truth. And the enemy is, is going to lie to us. Again, that is his native language to tell the followers of Jesus lies consistently. I, I just put on the screen, and you don't have to write all these down, maybe write one or two down that you have fallen for, maybe even this past week. And here are some of the more infamous or notorious lies of the enemy. It includes things like God doesn't love you or forgive you. You have done so many unlovable things, and you are so unlovable, and you've done so many things that are, that are so bad, so rebellious, so sinful. Here's one of the most notorious lies of the enemy against God's people. God doesn't really love you, nor does he really forgive you. Number two, your past defines you. What you did last semester, what you did as a teenager, what you did as a young adult, what you did last weekend, that that's now who you are. And you can't escape your past because your past defines you. This is a lie, a notorious lie of the enemy. Uh, number three, how about this? Sin is fine as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Now, that's a lie the enemy has, has told, and I would say probably a lie that he has ramped up since the advent of, of the internet. Well, I'm just looking at some things and, and no one's around. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just on this website and I'm not really hurting anybody. No one's hurt by this. No one's offended by this. And so sin is fine as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Another one that scripture just can't be trusted. I mean, scripture has been assaulted for 2,000 years now. 
I would say it's, it's standing up just fine, still the best sold book in all the history of the world. But there's always this attack against the validity of, of Scripture. Fifthly, and especially for those who are, let's just say, under the age of 25 here, you have all the time in the world. You do whatever you want to do now, and you can kind of figure out God later on. Or if you will, pardon my French, although I'm about to say in English, live like hell now, and you can aim for heaven later. That's usually kind of one of the, the lives of the enemy, especially toward those who, who are younger in age. I'll just say it again, under the age of 25. If you're 26, you're probably still hearing that lie, but I'm just saying 25 and under, it is a lie that is pressed on you all the time. You have all the time in the world to repent later on. Live how you want to live right now. And then, then sixthly, if there's no immediate consequence, that means there's no long-term consequence. I lied and no one knew about it. I, I, I was using pornography all weekend long, no one knew about it. I, I cheated on my taxes, no one knew about it. I, I was angry, but, but no one really even knew about it. And, and there's no consequences. I, I lied and, and there was no consequence. I was on porn and there was, no, there was no consequence at all. I was angry, there was no consequence at all. And so the enemy would love for you to think, yeah, you just continue to stay, do whatever you want to do, and there's no consequences at all. You see, our, our enemy doesn't, our enemy knows that something doesn't have to be true. It just has to be believed. And if God's people can believe something, even though it's not true, the enemy has this right where he wants this. Satan may, not, may, may be responsible for lying, but he's not responsible for, for you and I believing in the lies. That's you and I believing in the lies. These could be lies about God, lies about yourself, lies about the church, lies about people in the church. This could be lies about the word of God. It doesn't really matter. So here's the decision you have to make. Am I gonna live on truth or am I gonna live on these lies? And let me tell you what it looks like, the, the difference between the two. If you live on lies, you will always live in shame. But if you live in truth, you will always live in freedom because the truth always sets you free. Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 32 so how do you put on the belt of truth? What does it mean to put on this belt of truth that God has provided for us from his armor? Well, here's a very practical word for you, I hope. Here's what it means to put the truth on, the belt on. Know the truth about God, speak truthfully, and reject lies. That's what it means to, to have that belt. In fact, the ESV says fastened around you. If you have the NIV, I think it says buckled around you. Some of your translations say uh, that use that phrase tightly around you or set around you. So how do you wear that truth when you know the truth about God? Th then you speak truthfully to others. And listen, you also speak truthfully to your own heart and you reject these lies. I'm, I, it means that you're set for the battle. It means that the belt of truth is, is fastened around you. You're prepared to go into war, but, but only if you're actively living in truth, actively living in the truth of God's word, speaking truthfully, pushing away the, the lies of the enemy. And I don't think it's a consequence at all that the very first piece of the armor is truth. Because if you neglect truth, really all the other five pieces don't even make sense to you. You go into battle, Believing the truth of God. Let me just say the opposite of that. If you go into battle tomorrow morning believing lies and telling lies, then you're defeated before the day even begins. Second, breastplate of righteousness. We see the second item in verse 14, the, the breastplate of righteousness. You can gather from the title of this armament what, what it protects. It protects your heart. 
It protects the center of your being, your, your soul, your inner man, the, the control center of who you are. This is what the breastplate is able to protect. The enemy wants our hearts to be defeated. By that, I mean that the enemy wants our hearts to believe that we're going to lose every day. The enemy wants our hearts to believe that, that, that victory is unachievable, that you'll never be victorious in, in this struggle. He wants your heart defeated. For out of your heart, remember Proverbs chapter 4 flows the wellspring of life. So if your heart is defeated, everything that flows out of that heart speaks of defeat also. So if your heart is always depressed, always defeated, always bent toward losing every temptation that comes your way, then that, that, that impacts the rest of your life. That impacts your relationships. That impacts your, your, your self-discipline. That impacts your understanding of who you are in Christ. It impacts your marriage, it impacts your home, it, it impacts your family, it impacts your finances, it impacts your schedule. Because if your heart can be defeated and everything flows out of the heart, the heart is the wellspring of life, then everything that comes out of a defeated heart is just defeated things. So this breastplate of righteousness guards your heart. You know, let me, let me say this, sometimes when we think about, about Satan or, or about demons, we we, we default back to Hollywood. Like if the enemy's around and there's chairs flying around and people's heads are spinning and people's faces are melting off like Raiders of the Lost Ark and like it's just crazy stuff is happening. But you know what spiritual battle is? I'll make it very simple. It's temptation. It's living right in the middle of that temptation. What do I do with this thought towards sin or this thought toward holiness? What do I do right now in this tension of temptation? Do I honor myself? Do I honor my Savior? That's really the, the battle. And so when you're wearing that breastplate of righteousness, next time you're tempted, you need to remind yourself, I'm in a battle. This is a battle that I'm in. The enemy right now is trying to defeat my heart. I'm in war. My enemy wants me to walk around in fear. So what does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Note takers, you can write this down. Here's what it is. Be mindful that, that Christian, you lived the traded life. You gave Jesus the fullness of your sin and God gave you the fullness of Christ's righteousness. And so when you're in the middle of that temptation, it's that realization, that, that, that mindfulness. So wait a minute, I've already given Jesus all of my sin and God has given me all of the righteousness of Christ. This is what I mean by living this, this traded life. And this is so important. You are righteous, Christian, already in Christ. That's your identity. So when, when you're tempted, you don't have to give in to sin because you carry with you the righteousness of Christ. You are robed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, when you're in the middle of the heat of that temptation, you can live in the righteousness of Christ that God has already given you. And if you fail, if you fail, you've got to remember you're robed in the righteousness of Christ. And you can stand up in victory and walk in victory. This is that breastplate of righteousness that we are covered by, by Christ, being mindful that I gave Jesus all of my sin and Jesus gave me all of his righteousness. And we live in that. Thirdly, shoes of gospel peace. We see this in, in verse 15. This is the third piece of God's armor. It says in verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It says three things right there. One, be ready. 
Secondly, be ready to take the gospel to others. Thirdly, that gospel brings peace. And really, this is part of the battle, Highland, that we get to step out offensively. The, uh, the breastplate that, that we read about, that's kind of more of a, of a defensive thing that we have to, we put in front of us, that we hold in front of us. But, but here, these are shoes, spiritual shoes. And so we're taking the battle offensively. You're carrying peace to the captives. You're bringing good news to the enslaved by the enemy. You're going into the enemy's territory and bringing the story of freedom, the story of salvation, the story of, of new life in Christ. You put on the shoes to bring light to the darkness, hope to the hopeless, and good news for the captives. It's the role of the church. When, when Jesus ascended to be seated at the right hand of God, he left, and I don't know why he did this. I question this all the time. He left the church in charge of the mission of taking the gospel to all the nations to putting on, if you will, these gospel shoes of peace. I just want you to know specifically, maybe even practically, how, how we can do that. This, this year, Highland is sending a team to, to North Africa, an unnamed nation that is a Muslim nation, to take the gospel there. Sending a team to Taiwan to, to put on our, 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 the armament of our spiritual shoes of gospel peace, and we're going to share the gospel in Taiwan this year. We're going to the Netherlands, not necessarily to share the gospel with the Dutch, although I'm sure many of them need to hear the gospel, but there's many refugees now in the Netherlands, outside of Amsterdam, many of them from the Middle East, and we're going to go, we're going to share the gospel with them, sending teams to take the gospel. We're going to Toronto. We're just beginning a partnership in Toronto with, with some church planting. We're sending an English-speaking team from Highland. We're also later on going to send a Spanish-speaking team from Highland to go and help plant churches there in one of the most internationalized cities in, in North America, Toronto. So that, that is you and I putting on these gospel shoes of peace and listen, it may not be Toronto God is calling you to, but I can guarantee you this. He's making sure that, that you know that your neighbor has heard the gospel or a family member or a roommate or a classmate. So, so how do you put on the shoes of the gospel peace? Well, here it is. Here's the practicality of it. It's a readiness to share the gospel with others. That's what it means to have these shoes of gospel peace on and then also apply the gospel to your own life. Yes, church, go and tell, but also remember you have peace with God if you have believed upon the gospel. And so again, this, this piece of the armor is, is so interesting because it's a forward motion piece of armor that we are taking the gospel to others. We are taking the gospel across the world and across the street. Fourthly, the shield of faith. Verse 16 is, speaks of the shield of faith to specifically, verse 16, extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. This is an amazing word picture here. It's the stuff of, of Middle Earth or, or Narnia or, or Braveheart. I mean, what happens in those epic battles? They shoot arrows. And what, what is on the end of the arrow? Fire. That's why those who, who have that, that shield in front of them, they usually will soak that, that shield in water. So when the, the flaming arrow would come, the, the, the water from that shield would extinguish the, the flames. We have this picture now here of this, this shield of faith that would, would catch the arrows and, and destroy the arrows or extinguish the fire that is coming toward us. So let me just ask this question for us to answer together. What are the darts that are coming towards you? I think we could probably easily say, say in Scripture, accusation, 
and deception. This week, those are the two arrows, the flaming arrows, the flaming darts that will be hurled at us of accusation. In other words, this is the enemy saying, you've sinned way too much. Uh, you've wandered way too far. Uh, you're not loved. You're not forgiven. You'll, you'll never change. You're just a spiritual fraud. That's the accusation. But also you'll see and sense and even hear this week the, the, the darts of deception, false ideas about God, false ideas about you. I mean, false ideas about the enemy himself, false ideas about God's word, false ideas about God's character. The reason I say accusation and, and deception is because of this question. What are the biblical titles of, of the enemy? First of all, he's called the accuser. In Revelation chapter 12, 10, Satan is the accuser of the children of God, day and night accusing us. He tries to convince us that we can't be forgiven and that God has just given up on us. That, that is the accusation of the lies of, of the enemy. You cannot be forgiven for all that you have done. In fact, you've done so many things. God has just thrown his hands up and he has given up on you. That is what it looks like to be accused because he is the accuser. Another name for the enemy in the Bible is the deceiver. Therefore, the deceiver, of course, brings deception. What are the darts? Accusation and deception. Who's the enemy? An accuser and a deceiver. And he loves to make in our lives sin seem normal and righteousness look so strange. And I'm not sure there's ever been a point in American history where that's more true. Yeah. Christian, just, just keep sinning. It's, it's the normal thing to do. Don't practice righteousness. No one's practicing righteousness. It's such an abnormal thing to do. It's, you're going to look so strange on the campus. You're going to look so strange in the workplace. You're going to look so strange in the community if you, if you practice righteousness. So what do you do? Like, how do you hold out the shield of faith? What does that look like? Well, here it is. Trusting by faith that in Christ, your forgiveness is set and righteousness is normal. For the believer, righteousness is normal. You know what should be abnormal for the Christian? Sin. It should be abnormal for those who have died and are crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ now lives in us. It should be abnormal for a believer to sin. It should be normal for the believer to practice righteousness. And so how do you hold up that shield of faith? Trusting that Christ, in Christ, your forgiveness is set, is permanent, it is complete, it is forever, but also that practicing righteousness, living like Christ, even in Waco today, is actually normal for a follower of Jesus. Number five, helmet of salvation. We see this in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. I mean, every good soldier wears a helmet, right? It protects your mind. It protects your thinking. It protects your decision-making. Uh, you, you keep it on to, to quite literally keep your, your, your head on straight. I, I played soccer at, at Waco High. I'm sure you saw me today and thought, I bet that guy plays, played soccer. I get confused with Ronaldo all the time when I'm out, out, out in public. And we were playing Westlake, um, down in Westlake, outside of Austin. And I was in a, in a play, in a collision, and, and went back and, and hit my head uh, you know, enough where I, my, my eyes kind of went dark for half a second. And I, I jumped back up and looked at my coach and I said, I'm fine, perfectly fine. He goes, no, I want you, want you off the field. And it's like, no, I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine. And so I went over and sat down on the bench and and kind of put my head, you know, my, my hands in my head for a little bit. And my coach came over and said, are you sure you're okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, then why did you walk to Westlake's bench? 
Like I went over to the bench of, of Westlake and sat down and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not fine. I mean, that's, you start realizing like a head injury, what it, how it impacts you. And in the same way, spiritually, the enemy loves to come after our mind. It's amazing what a blow to the head can do physically and spiritually. I mean, family, you're, you're going to get rattled. Family, you're, you're going to get hit. You're going to get attacked. And what, what Paul is saying here in the middle of the attack is never to lose the hope of your salvation. In the middle of your attack, to never lose the joy of his salvation. In the middle of the attack, to never lose the promise of eternal salvation. You're going to be surrounded by all kinds of lies and all kinds of half-truths and all kinds of temptations, even this week, all kinds of confusions. You've got to keep your head on straight by wearing the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Here's what I put in my notes for you today. Believing and saying, Jesus is my king. I belong to him and he will never let me go. I mean, yes, it's one thing to believe it. When, when the attacks come, that that helmet of salvation is set, you're, you're secure in your salvation. But I would say something maybe you have not done before, and that is you saying aloud, Jesus is my king. I belong to him, and that king will never let me go. This would be the expression of wearing the helmet of salvation. And lastly, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's very clear what the sword is. Verse 17, Paul didn't make sure that we didn't have to guess at that. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, this is a weapon. Um, many theologians would say, and I would agree, it's an offensive weapon. You know, the very first spiritual battle in history was back in Genesis chapter 3, when, when the enemy came to to Eve, even after God had said, do this and do not do this, and the enemy came to Eve. Remember what the enemy said? Did God really say? The very first spiritual war recorded, at least in Genesis chapter 3, is over the word of God. So brothers in this room, sisters in this room, would you hear me very clearly? If you stop reading your Bible, you might as well surrender to the enemy. If you stop studying your Bible, you might as well just surrender to the enemy. Stop memorizing the Bible. You'll just surrender to the enemy. Stop submitting to the truth of the Bible. Stop gathering and being under the preaching or the teaching of God's word. You're just surrendering to the enemy. Can you imagine if a drill sergeant came to you and handed you an M4 carbine assault rifle? and said to you, here's your lightweight, gas-operated, air-cooled, magazine-fed, selective-rate, shoulder-fired weapon with a collapsible stock. You're going to need it to win. Most of us in this room would say, what'd you say? Like, was that English? I have no idea how to operate this thing. I don't even know what an air-cooled rifle even, even means. A collapsible stock? Like, I have no idea how to operate. You're saying I have to have this? Sergeant, to, to win the battle? I wonder if we treat God's word the same way. I have to understand this and know this to, to operate this. We need to learn how to handle God's word, how to pick up God's word, how to operate God's word, how to use God's word as a weapon in our daily battle. So how do you fight with the sword of the Spirit? Well, here it is. You study Scripture. You obey Scripture. You say Scripture. And in saying Scripture, you pray Scripture. And you stand in the truth of Scripture. 
I mean, make, make no mistake, the word of God is an offensive weapon for you not to push back against the enemy as we stand. It's that forward progress of the life of the believer in, in this war that's being waged over, over your hearts. You will lose, and I say this in love, you will lose the battles this week if you do not use the weapon of the word of God. Pick it up. Divide it accurately. Learn how it operates. Apply it, study it, memorize it, obey it. It's your weapon for this week. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to end as we have the last few weeks. And that is by singing a couple of songs to give you an opportunity to to hear from the Lord, to speak to the Lord. Maybe here today, maybe there's a sickness or an illness, maybe an upcoming surgery. Maybe you're even struggling mentally with some mental health issues. Our, our elders would love to pray for you and pray over you. So we have elders in, in both corners of the room, directly to my left, far left, directly to my right, my, my far right. And they'd love to pray for you, pray over you for, for healing, physical healing mental healing. This is what scripture tells us to do in James chapter five, to go to the elders. If you feel sick and let them, let them pray over you. We also have the altars that will be open. If you want to come and just kneel before the Lord and, and seek him, maybe saying some of these things to him, Jesus, thank you that I gave you the fullness of my sin and you gave me the fullness of your righteousness. Therefore, I'm going to wear that breastplate of righteousness this week. I'm going to protect my heart. You may want to just take your Bible and come and kneel here at the front and just read some scripture aloud over your own heart. We'll have some leaders from our church. They'll be standing here at the front, some of our staff members or spouses. And if you want to come and pray with us and, and let's battle together in prayer for you, for your life, for relationships, for, for school, whatever that might be, we'd love to battle with you. You'll also see on, on the screen as we sing this first song, some ways that we can pray for one another, ways we can celebrate with one another. So I would encourage you, just call a timeout every now and then while you're singing and just pray for those things on the lower thirds of the screen. As people around you are praying, as people around you are singing, as people around you are seeking the Lord. But here's a challenge I would, I would have for, for families who are here in the 840. I would encourage you dads or moms to come and pray over your kids, to take them by the hand and say, hey, I'm gonna, I wanna pray over you here at the altar. I wanna pray blessings over you. I wanna pray God's strength over you. I, I know for middle school boys, about right now, you're probably trying to find a place to sneak under the chairs. Like, please dad, don't like grab my hand and say we're praying. Or high school girls, your eyes are already rolling. It's amazing how they do that. Can I just encourage every middle school boy not to crawl and every high school girl not to roll? And just let your parents come and pray over you. Disciple Now is this weekend. About 200 students and leaders are gonna enter into war, really, discovering what it means to walk in Christ and with Christ. And if you're part of D Now, moms and dads, I'd encourage you just to grab the hand of your middle school child, your high school child, and just come and pray over them. If you're leading D now, maybe you want to come and just pray for this weekend. 
a good way for us to war, to battle together in, in prayer. Let's sing and won't you come and pray?